Welcome to the Texas Law Dog Podcast, where we will get you off, literally and legally. Your weekly true crime podcast from the criminal defense lawyer's perspective. Join the Texas Law Dog and co-host Akash as they venture into the nitty-gritty of the criminal justice system and explore how there may be practicable solutions to cleaning it up. Any and all content produced should not be construed as formal legal advice, used for educational, marketing, and solicitation purposes only. Some information may be factual. All guests have agreed to use their real names and likenesses. All views and opinions expressed by the Texas Law Dog reflect the opinions of Texas Law Dog LLC only and should not be construed as formal or informal legal advice by a practicing attorney. The Texas Law Dog will not get you off, literally or legally, despite what he may claim. Okay. All right, moving on. I want to talk about Frame Toby, uh, which is the Office episode. If no one's seen The Office at this point, I don't, I don't want you listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you haven't seen either Ricky Gervais's UK version or uh, he's an executive producer on the US version as well. But, like, th- th- that's what people will forget about The Office is that, like, he is – Ricky Gervais is, like, our court jester, right? Do you remember his speech at the Oscars? Yeah, recently? hell yeah, bro. He's a – yeah, he's – Dude, he was going off. He's like, we're all going to die soon. And, uh, you know, he, he like he pissed off all the Tom Hanks was like looking at him all weird and stuff. I thought that was strange. But anyway, he was he was making like these cryptic messages in his in his dialogue and his monologue. And I uh, it got to thinking about some of the shows he's produced. And one in particular is The Office. Um, and I'll go over my take about The Office after I discussed this episode, but I think that The Office honestly was a warning and it was a warning about how we live our lives. Um, If you zoom out of the actual plot points and see the characters for who they are and like what they were before they actually found happiness, it's a really stark warning for the American people to not get caught in the rat race because all of them do all the time over and over again. And I'll go over that. But first I wanted to kind of discuss how, um, (laughs) <laughs> okay, so the episode is basically where Michael comes Michael comes into the office and like they're having a party and uh essentially Jim makes a comment about how like Toby is back from Costa Rica and, and Michael like had no idea that he even had an employee from HR working at his fucking office for like a week before he even realized that this guy was back and he detests this dude from HR. So he hates him. He wants him gone under any circumstances. Like his life was made better. He had a huge party for him when he left for Costa Rica. Uh, and so essentially what happens is he's like, fuck, dude, we got to get rid of Toby once he realizes he's back. <laughs> so you're taking two? Yeah, um, but one of them is for Toby. Yeah. Why don't you send that to him in Costa Rica? Um, I'm just going to hand it to him right now. <laughs> okay, weirdo. Why is that? Why is that weird? She said she's gonna give it to him right now. <laughs> she's probably going to, because they sit next to each other. Yeah, they used to. Toby works here again. Oh, can you imagine? Oh no. Uh, you don't know. I don't know. What? You should probably just meander back there. Take a look. See if hmm. he's see if he's back. Dare I? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to. For old time's sake. Great practical joke, Jim. Got me go to the annex. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 
No! The first thing they try to do, and this is so, I'm going to go into like how they end up trying to frame him for drugs. And so I'm going to kind of go through the episode a little bit and just that plot point. But uh, I want to go over what you need to do if you're ever accused of having drugs on your person, whether you be at work, whether you be at home, or whether you be in your car. And I wanted to tie it into this episode. So, uh, okay, the first thing they do, though, is, this is just a funny note, was they try to get him to beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to get him fired, they go in, and they start, like, they start teasing him and taunting him, and they're like, <clears throat> what you want to do? You want to fight me? <laughs> And he like pushes like his papers on the ground and Toby's like, I'm not going to punch you, Michael. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to do that. And so then Ryan chastises him. He's like, man, you should have punched him, dude. It's once in a lifetime. So eventually <laughs> Michael and Dwight go back into uh, Michael's office and they're hatching this plan to frame him. And so they're like, how do we get this guy fired? And Michael's <laughs> like, Michael's like, we need to buy drugs. And I think Dwight proposes that they buy drugs. <laughs> So Michael's like, sometimes the end justify the mean. And uh, basically, he then goes to these two warehouse workers, which live, like, they work at the, um, down on, like, a lower floor uh, in the warehouse. And he, he approaches these two dudes who are, like, I think they're on Parks and Rec, too, but they're pretty hilarious actors. And they, uh, <laughs> he's like, he goes up to him, he's like, hey, I was wondering if I could buy some weed? <laughs> and he's like, uh the guys are like what why do you think we would have any weed <laughs> he's like, well i i just heard that you guys did that kind of thing and like it's because they're warehouse workers he has no concept of like he just thinks because they're like poor and they work in a warehouse that they would be weed dealers <laughs> and so these guys are like oh, oh, oh yeah hold on they, they get together and they they converse for a second and they're like and then michael while they were discussing he goes like i'm not i'm not wearing a wire and they're like why would you say that man <laughs> <laughs> there's still one thing we can do to get toby fired what's that frame him for using drugs frame him yeah it's illegal but everything they do in the shield is illegal i've never framed a man before have you oh i framed animals before I framed a raccoon for opening a Christmas present. And I framed a bear for eating out of the garbage. <sighs> Just seems awfully mean. But sometimes the ends justify the mean. Hello. I've seen you guys around. I'm Michael Scott, Dunder Mifflin. How you doing? Ah. Oh. So I guess you know why I'm here. I need to purchase something. Like a fridge? No. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to buy some weed. Some what? Grass weed. What makes you think we'd have weed? I heard you were drug. I heard you dealt. Hey, just hold on one second. I'm not wearing a, a wire, so. Why would you even say that? It's gonna be five hundred dollars. How much? Five hundred. It's a good price. It's a steal. How many pounds is that? It's, it's two pounds. I'm losing money on this man. Just give me money. All right, walk away. Walk away. Walk away. It's like trying to buy. Like this reminds me of every single like. 18 year old trying to buy weed for the first time <laughs> right where you're so fucking nervous to meet your plug and you're like 
uh, you got your whole, you got it all in your head and how it's going to go down and the money exchange. And so like, this reminds me of that because Michael is like, uh, the dudes are like, okay, uh, yeah, we got two, like two pounds, uh, $500. And that's a really good price, dude. I'm basically losing money. And then <laughs> he's got this little, he's got this little Ziploc bag and it's definitely like tiny amount of whatever's in the bag. Right. So he pays $500 for this shit. And then the next scene is Michael going in and stuffing that into Toby's office drawer. Uh, and then you get the scene where Dwight calls the police. Hi, Michael. Hey, 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 hey. I forgot. I forgot. Yes. I repeat, a drug dealer is on the premises of Dunder Mifflin. His name is Toby Flinderson, and he recently returned from a mysterious vacation in Central America. I have risked a great deal to tell you this information. My name is Andy Bernard. Andrew Bernard, that's my name. See you soon. Um, he calls the cops. He's like, we have drugs on the premises. A man by the name of Toby Flinderson. And he gives him like his full information, and he's like, this guy has drugs. I know it. Come and get him. And so when the police show up, Hi. We received the call. I don't know anything about that. But basically, Pam is a genius because the cops come in and say, we have a, we have a complaint about drugs. And Pam says, I don't know anything about that. The perfect line, Pam. Good job. I mean, I know this character gets shit on a lot because she's annoying and stuff. But she's a smart cookie, okay? I liked her because she was always intelligent on the show. Um, and while all of the characters except her, Jim, would have been Trump supporters, uh, definitely, like, she is the, the voice of reason in a lot of the episodes. So I, I salute Pam for saying, uh, I don't know anything about that. Great job, Pam. But then Dwight steps in and says, uh, no, actually, I'm the one that recorded it. I'm going to lead you to the desk. So... Interesting scenario here because Toby works for HR, but he is being framed for drugs. So the police approach and go back into the annex and they're like, oh, and the best part is Michael, when he's looking, <laughs> Creed, they cut to Creed and he's like, just pretend we're talking until the cops leave. <laughs> we were tipped off about a possible narcotic situation. Here? Hey, Pam. Hey, I got this. Okay. Hello, officers. Dwight Fruit former volunteer sheriff's deputy. Listen, I may have inside information that someone is hiding drugs in this very office. Just pretend like we're talking until the cops leave. <laughs> and then Michael's like, oh that. shit, those are real cops, real guns. <laughs> and so literally the cops approach Toby and they're like, all right, sir, we need to approach your things. They like harass him. They get him and they get him to approach his and, and Toby makes the correct response here, which is, what are you doing? You don't have my permission to do this. You don't have my permission to search. He makes the incredibly uh, correct response. Um, and then Dwight obviously makes the, all, the other correct response, which is, the company has your permission, <laughs> which is true. Because usually in most company contracts, you don't have any reasonable right to privacy, even at your own desk. So don't be bringing your fucking drugs to work, people. That's the moral of this story. It's real cops, real guns. I wonder what's going on. Officers, I reveal to you the perpetrator. 
Hey, what is this? Searches things. Sir, can you step away from your desk, please? Why? Sir, please step away from your desk. Hey, what's going on? Okay. You don't have my permission to do this. They don't need your permission, Flanderson. They've got the company's permission. Hey, hey, what are you, why are you doing this? But it is, it, it's important in the fact that he had a reasonable right to privacy in his things. And so you do in your car, you do in your home. Okay. It translates to that. And so like, if you ever have a situ situation and here's <laughs> Dwight was like, save it for the judge Flenderson. <laughs> Throw that clip in there. He's yeah. like, uh, you gotta, um, <laughs> so like they're starting to search him and Michael automatically like the human in him starts to feel bad. And he's like, and he makes a classic mistake. And this is worth noting. Michael then says, those are my drugs. Uh, you know what? I think this is, I, this is probably a misunderstanding. Don't search my stuff. Sir? I have a reasonable right to privacy. Save your whining for the jury there, Flenderson. Yeah, let's Michael. just cancel this, okay? Sir, did you recently return from a trip to Central America? Oh, oh my no, God, no, no, there no, was, no, I no, went no. to Costa Rica that for That was legitimate. Months. That was what totally legitimate. Really? Check this out. Oh God! That is not mine. Oh, I have no, 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 no! What no, is going God. on here? No, that's I don't know what that is, and it, it, I bet he has nothing not. to do with that. Ah, that's mine. No, Michael, no. Yes, it's mine. Some basil. Salad dressing, I think. Salad dressing? Yeah, it's a caprese salad. It's a little bit of uh, mozzarella right there. Are you kidding me? It's my salad. So wait a minute. There's no drugs? No. Oh damn it! Come on. We got a fake tip. And the officers pull the baggie out of the drawer. And that's when they're like, all right, do you have anything in your pockets? They start to put Kobe, Toby in cuffs. And then the officer opens the bag and he smells it. And he's like, wait a minute. This is basil. <laughs> uh, and, and arugula. And, and this is caprese salad. <laughs> And basically the entire time the dude he paid like Michael bought five hundred dollars for caprese salad from one of the guys and then he thought it was weed and he puts it in the drawer and uh essentially the cops then realized it's not weed and that but Michael made a classic mistake because when he opens the baggie, Michael says, That bag is mine. Those drugs are mine. You should never ever claim the drugs, okay? Uh however, if it is a bag of yours or something that like a briefcase, maybe. If you do claim ownership to it, the officers can't open it without a warrant because then it's your property. So usually in cases, right, where you have four people in a car and they might get pulled over and it smells like weed, but there's one backpack of weed on the back floor. If nobody claims the backpack, they're going to charge all four of you with weed possession. And um, But if you do claim the backpack, and they don't have a probable cause to open it, or you don't give them any reason to, then you're going to be on your merry way, and you're not going to have anybody getting arrested. So that's the difference is never, ever claim drugs, never, ever claim that there's anything illegal. But if you do have a backpack or something like a, in your trunk or whatever, it is your property. So they don't have a right to search it without your permission or without probable cause. Now, in this case, it was caprese salad. There was going to be no audible otter, like audible, audible. That's <laughs> I just created a word. There's no uh, um, noticeable odor of mar noticeable odor of marijuana. Yeah, right? you combined the words <laughs> notable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so. There's no noticeable odor of marijuana, right? And then they wouldn't have probable cause to have searched. So, I think that basically, uh, you know, when you get approached by the police. 
your automatic tendency is to want to incriminate yourself. Don't do it. Don't have that ability or don't even give them the ability to ask more questions. Just say, I don't know what you're talking about. and I don't have any interest in discussing my personal life with you. What do you want? And you don't have to t- like they they have they know that they are psychological manipulators and they get trained on how to be one. It's time to just start using that back against them. And if you know your rights and you know how to speak to them correctly, they'll leave you alone. Trust me, they don't want to deal with someone who's going to fight their stuff because they don't want to go and have to waste their time sitting on the stand getting eviscerated by me. It's like at the end, um, Jim. <laughs> The other part of the episode, the sub point is that Jim buys a house for Pam, his old parents' house in the ghetto without telling her. Full <laughs> <laughs> move, Jim. Like truly, like that was a real kind of dick move. It might have been very well intentioned, but it's super impractical. And Pam has simple taste. So I think she was more impressed by the gesture than like living in the ghetto in their old parents' house with shag carpet. But like that that to me said you need to have communication with your partner before you just go buy a fucking real estate uh purchase you know like that's kind of a big deal probably should communicate with your potential spouse about uh some sort of purchase like that so bold move jim on that episode it was one of my favorite episodes of the office honestly look i know i bought this without asking you and it doesn't look great i know that and if you really hate it, I totally understand. It's just... <laughs> I love it. You do? Yeah, I love it. Really? I mean, you bought me a house. Oh my God. You bought me a house. <laughs> yeah, I did. All right, guys, I wanted to share a quick story about uh, something that occurred maybe about four years ago, but I got hired on a case. This is a guy that I've had to do. He's one of those repeat customers that I've talked about, but um, he essentially gave me a call and he was like, (laughs) this is one of the crazier calls I've gotten. Um, Let me see if I can pull up the actual fucking uh, complaint and like I'll anonymize it, but it's pretty hilarious once you actually read it. Okay, so it states that the complainant advised that the complainant in the uh, in this case is the individual who hit my client over the head with a uh, shovel. So I, and the witness is um, the girlfriend, and my guy is defendant. So <clears throat> the complainant advised he perceived the situation between the defendant and witness as tense and attempted to leave the two of them by walking past the defendant. The complainant stated that at that point, the defendant threw a punch at him, striking him in the head and causing him pain. The defendant continued throwing punches at the complainant, so the complainant put the defendant in a headlock in an effort to stop the assault. The defendant agreed to stop punching the complainant, so the complainant released him from the headlock. The complainant advised that the defendant proceeded to follow the complainant and accused the complainant of sleeping with his wife. As the defendant approached the complainant from behind, The complainant swung a shovel at the defendant, striking and injuring him. The defendant was transported to the hospital for treatment. Okay, so (laughs) this is like, I they the dude gets sliced over the head with a shovel. He's bleeding. He had to get like 15, 20 stitches um, in his head. And they arrested my guy for assault. Um, Evidently, because they figured because he started the fight, he deserved a shovel over the head. So 
this case was hilarious. I was like, I talked to the DA. He's like, what do you mean? I'm not dismissing this. I said, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? You, you, the, the fucking CW, the complaining witness, hit my guy over the head with a shovel. And you expect me to, like, take a deal on this? And he was like, I mean, we can try it. I was like, you goddamn right, we can try it. So I set it for trial. <laughs> and of course, like a week before, the DAs shift all the time in, uh, in Houston. So in a big county, you never get the same DA on a case for more than like three or four months. I mean, it used to be that way anyway. It's not that way anymore. But uh, back then it was, there was a lot of turnovers or a lot of shifting and stuff um, with politics and whatever. So I had a new DA get on the case literally the day before the trial and I'm ready to go, man. I was like, I, <laughs> I knew that shovel guy wasn't going to even fucking come. So they didn't even have a shot, but it literally took me setting the case for trial. And then the day of the judge was like, all right, um, you know, ready. And then I announced ready and the state dismissed it right there. So it was fucking crazy though, because like when you're presented with that kind of scenario, like these are what police officers are doing out there. They're making these kind of decisions. They're the ones that are causing all of this fucking stupid, uh, you know, unnecessary. And it's not just them. It's the DAs as well. Like it's, it's, it's a bifurcated system, but they all work for the same player. And, um, essentially that's just to make sure that they stay profitable by arresting as many people as possible. So, I mean, uh, that really is what it came down to in that, you know, you've got DAs that won't dismiss cases because they want fucking court costs and they want fees. They want fines. They want all of that money funds your counties. I mean, like your criminals, your lower socioeconomic caste that's never able to get out of the system is always kept poor because they're never able to freaking escape the rat race of fees in the uh, probation department or they make it almost impossible to be successful anymore. So it's just something that we need to freaking look at because it's just gotten untenable um, with like the fact that they bring these kind of asinine cases to trial or they even let it get to the fact that it was a day of trial and I had a jury pool like a jury pool outside the door waiting to pick a pick a jury on a case like that. I mean, I was going to slam dunk that case. I was praying they didn't dismiss it and they did. And I was pissed. I said, judge, I do not want a dismissal. I want to go to trial. And the judge looks at me, he starts laughing and he's like, no, man, I'm dismissing this. <laughs> he didn't want to go to work. <laughs> he got to go home or whatever and play golf. But it, it, regardless, it was like, it was one of those moments in your practice where you're just like, oh man i love my job like this is just something that nobody else gets to do uh you know and i think that was just a, an interesting time in my practice when i was still pretty young but fearless uh to try cases and like any young lawyers out there that uh you know want to build any sort of credibility at all like you can't you can't just be a plea factory i mean if you're literally not setting cases for trial you're never going to get a dismissal because nobody fears you beating them um and so yeah i mean that's just kind of a quick story i wanted to go over i also kind of wanted to talk about and then i guess i'll just close it out with this december 3rd currently and uh we don't exactly know who the president is going to be uh, on january 20th we think it's going to be biden he did create an uh office of the president-elect which is not even a real thing <laughs> Uh, because I think he's trying to give himself a little more credibility in the eyes of everyone that believes like the media's narrative. Um, because honestly, what's going to happen is, uh, 
if Trump pulls out a smoking gun, which he better do it quickly, I haven't seen enough to fucking overturn the election. But if he has some sort of smoking gun he's sitting on, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. That's what makes me think he doesn't. But if he does and it comes out, you know, before the election is certified on the 15th or the 21st, then if, it, if he gets a crack at the Supreme Court, be scared because he's got five. He's got Gorsuch, Alito, Kavanaugh, Barrett. I found I sound like Rick Perry right now, forgetting which agencies I wanted to eliminate. And Clarence Thomas, of course, you could forget him. Um, so he's got five, man. Because Roberts, if it was a tie uh, and they hadn't gotten a fifth justice, basically what would happen is any sort of election dispute, Roberts could side with the liberals, the three that remain. And at a 4-4, it would uphold the previous court's lower court's decision. But they have mrs barrett now so it's going to be an interesting ride man it's going i, I don't think that anything's like massive is going to happen as far as what what comes on january 20th i mean it's apparent to me that they are saying biden won um but i've also read and and watched a lot of fucking affidavit uh, and sworn testimony from people uh, that are claiming that there was fraud going on. So are all those people lying too? I mean, is everyone that's standing up and saying, I witnessed ballot stuffing or ballot tossing or whatever, like if those people are all lying, is is it the grand conspiracy now? Because like shit, dude, even Fox News turned on Trump, which makes you know that they're just controlled opposition. They have been this whole time. They never really supported Trump to begin with. I mean, shit, even in 16, they never gave him a shot. And Megyn Kelly cried when he won. <laughs> I remember I stayed up to watch it. Uh, she couldn't believe it. So honestly, y'all, I think it's just a bunch of fucking manipulation going on right now on both sides. Um, the only way we win is by being kind to one another. Uh, no one from the middle class is fighting for us in government. No one. There is nobody who has struggled to pay rent currently that has a position of power in the federal government. Everyone is an elite or bought or sold dove all right and the dove is never free it is literally you pay to play in this country you bribe to play in this country it's the american way and until people kind of stop wanting this system and get together like small business owners and all the the people that thought trump was going to save them or that thought biden was going to save them and just realize that it's a cesspool of of rich morons that are are trying to fuck us all to, so they can stay rich if that's the case then continue supporting the system continue voting for these assholes every single year i mean i don't know what else to do i i just there's nothing that you you can't show people you know like what's going on they have to want to question it themselves and so until that happens y'all i just ask that you be kind to one another be respectful of other people's views um especially you know most people are good people they're just trying to do right by the world they're trying to get by they're trying to fucking live the life that they set out for themselves and they worked hard for and it makes it really hard man whenever you know your your message your revolution is corporate is corporate sponsored by and and you've got to really like take a look at like who's pushing all of these messages that you and these talking points that you keep spitting back and whenever you debate someone who may not agree with you like holistically zoom out and just realize y'all that it's it's a power structure that is so fucking big and powerful and rich that like 
people like me would never even touch them. I mean, it's just they, they, there is so much money involved here and you never fuck with the money. If you fuck with the money, there's going to be some real fucking consequences. So unless y'all want to fuck with the money, it's going to be the status quo. And I'll end it on that, y'all. I love you guys. Um, please tune in next week. We're going to have uh, episode seven. We will hopefully be joined by a, our second guest um, and talk about white collar crime. So please be looking forward to that. And if he's not next week, it'll be the week after. So I'll figure something out or a uh, fun story or a lesson or two for everyone for next week. But uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Please be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review, and give me your un dying praise uh because you know i think podcasts i'm not doing this to like go like to be some sort of content creator you know like sell out i just truly i wanted to explore these issues with you guys um please email me hello at cxlawdog.com if you have any thoughts like or questions or something that i might have missed like let me know because i'd love to have y'all's feedback anyone who's actually listening to this weekend and week out i really appreciate it if you do that, please share this with two people that you might find would also find it enjoyable. That would really help me. I love y'all. See y'all next week. What is my perfect crime? I break into Tiffany's in midnight. Do I go for the vault? No, I go for the chandelier. It's priceless. As I'm taking it down, a woman catches me. She tells me to stop. It's her father's business. She's Tiffany. I say no. We make love all night. In the morning, the cops come and I escape in one of their uniforms. I tell her to meet me in Mexico, but I go to Canada. I don't trust her. Besides, I like the cold. 30 years later, I get a postcard. I have a son, and he's the chief of police. This is where the story gets interesting. I tell Tiffany to meet me in Paris by the Trocadero. She's been waiting for me all these years. She's never taken another lover. I don't care. I don't show up. I go to Berlin. That's where I stash the chandelier. <laughs>